Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. And too often we pray as if God is out there and He needs to show up and give us something. Too often our prayers are more of a testimony of our doubt than our faith. I mean, think about that. Is your prayer life more of a testimony of your doubt or your faith? If it's more of a testimony of your doubt, then your prayers look like this. God, I need this. God, I don't have this. God, I need you to come and give me this. God, I don't know this, so give me some information. Rather than realizing that he's placed his spirit within you. And Jesus tells us that the mystery is that the word is in you to bear fruit out of you. And here's how the kingdom works. You sleep. It's like a farmer casts seed in the ground. He sleeps. He wakes up. He doesn't know how it happens. It bears fruit on its own. So we learn from that that the kingdom is within you and it is seeking to grow and bear fruit of itself into your life. Now we talk about that here all the time. But you, you, you look at that in light of prayer. Do your prayers line up with that type of truth? Do your prayers line up with that reality that the Spirit of God is in you in fullness? And it's just a matter of tapping into that life source. And like she said, what are you breathing in? Are you breathing in life? Are you, what's the atmosphere? What, what's the, what kind of scenario are you in in life? What TV shows are you watching? Who are you listening to? Where are you going? You know, what kind of atmosphere are you breathing and gaining life from in this place? Not just the actual air, but you know what I'm saying. What are you allowing to feed you? See, your heart is the same way. It can be fed by this world or it can be fed by that life of God that is within you. He who has the Son has the life. So when we pray, it's got to be from a spiritual, eternal perspective, understanding what he's already done in Christ and placed within us rather than trying to get something from him. You're never asking God to give you something that he's already given you in Christ. He has nothing else to give you. He's given you everything in him. So prayer is more coming into agreement in your heart and declaring that spiritual truth speaking the realities of what you already are in your spirit. And then this world and your body will experience that reality. Think about it. He knows what you need before you ever even ask. He's given you all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Any promise that he's ever made is yes and amen. And the kingdom is within you. I mean, it's like we're set up to just experience the best of everything that he has. Not so that you can drive a nice car but so that you're yielded to what God has placed within you and Christ bears fruit in your life to the glory of God in this planet Amen. so that God gets glory. The reason that you can pray from that place and the fact that you have Christ's seed within you is, is a covenantal reality that you have to understand. So there's too many people that mix covenants. The old covenant was based on you keeping the laws, you performing the right way. If you missed it, you had to offer the right kind of sacrifice. And every year, continually, you had to offer sacrifices to have your sins covered. And then Jesus shows up 
And He is the fulfillment of the promise of a new and living way. The fulfillment of the promise of you receiving the Spirit of God living in you, you getting this new heart, and like Isaiah prophesied, God is no longer angry with you. God is no longer wrathful towards you. His covenant of peace is everlasting and grafts you into that covenant. I know I'm throwing a lot in here, but it's, I'm kind of setting the stage for where we're going for prayer. Because you have to know who you are and what you are and what's in you and what Christ has already done before you ever even open your mouth to pray. We pray emotionally rather than based in truth. We pray out of need and lack rather than out of the complete finished work of Christ. Think about it. What, what do you pray from? You look at your life and you say, I don't have that. I need this. God, please show up and give me this. As if you don't have a part to play in that. Your part to play in that is realizing, no, you've given me all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Just because it's physical doesn't mean it's spiritual. Physical is not the opposite of spiritual. Physical can be spiritual if it's a fruit of the Spirit. A hug is just as spiritual as a miracle, a supernatural healing taking place because it's birth of the Spirit. You give someone food, that's spiritual food because it's life. Now, I understand there is that spirit of life that can give you eternal life where a banana can't. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. The fruition of it is birthed of the Spirit. The fruition of your act of kindness toward people is just as spiritual as anything else because it's birthed of the Spirit into this dimension. It's motivated by God in you. It's the Spirit of God that led you and taught you to behave that way, and you bore the fruit of the Spirit. So prayer is not God showing up and giving you stuff. Prayer is you speaking and confessing the truth in patience, in faith toward Him, free from worry, free from fear, free from deceitfulness of riches, you know, worrying about money, and then experiencing what He has for you. Is He, not your, is he your provider or not? Honestly, think about it. How many, Sarah and I used to do this when we were younger. We'd sit down. We've been married 18 years. Praise God. That was last week was our anniversary. We used to sit down in the early years and we'd try and do a budget. It's like we'd get all the numbers out and, and we'd look at how much we have going out versus how much we have coming in. And we never had enough coming in to cover how much was going out. But yet, somehow everything got paid. Have you ever done that? You ever done a budget and it works out that way? How does that happen? That's because God knows how to provide beyond numbers on paper. Yeah, but that doesn't add up. That doesn't add up. Well, okay, you're thinking carnally. Spiritually, God is your provider. I'm not saying we have to check our brain at the door, but there's a higher way. The way of God sometimes doesn't make sense to the physical brain. He has revealed himself by telling us who he is. So many times he would show up, I am Jehovah Jireh, I am Jehovah Nisi, I am Jehovah Sidkenu, I am all these things. And when God says, I am this, you've got a choice. Are you going to believe him or not? Is he your provider? Is he your deliverer? Is he your healer? Because he said, my name is healer. You're going to believe that? It's not like, I wonder if God wants to heal today. 
He said, my name is Healer. Why, why is that confusing? So when we pray, we have to have these truths settled in our heart because if you don't know who you are in Christ, you don't know the com just how complete you are in Him, then you'll pray from that sense of lack. You're reinforcing back to your own self that you don't have what you think that you're asking God for that He's really already given you, and then you're all confused. <laughs> Does that make sense? <laughs> All right, so let's look at Hebrews 10, and I'm just going to kind of re recap a little bit of what we talked about last week, because I want you to understand doctrinally, spiritually, legally, just what has happened and where you are in the body of Christ. So we ask these questions, right? Well, does God want to provide for me? Does He want to meet my needs? I know He made the promise that said, my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I realize that's in the Bible, but I'm not really sure if that applies to me. Does He really want to meet my need today? You ever, you ever gone through that process? Like maybe somehow you're the exception to the rule? What you don't realize is that there has been a covenant made and whatever is legally true or legally available within that covenant it's yours if you're in that covenant. There is a covenant, the new covenant, the eternal covenant that has been made between the Father and the Son. The Father promised the Son that He would forever rule and reign and that He would make all His enemies His footstool. Amen. Now, that's the promise that Jesus has earned in and of Himself. And then Jesus turns and says, All who will come in My name can be a joint heir in this covenant. So when you receive the Spirit of God, it's not just that you become a Christian and then you get to work out what God will and won't do for you. You have to realize that legally you have been adopted. Legally you have taken on the name of God and everything that He gave to Christ, He gave to you too. Amen. You can't take yourself out of that equation. You can't make that null and void for yourself because spiritually it's true of you because of what He has done. That's the legal, written, eternal agreement in the blood of Christ that He has made. And if you're in it, all of it's yours. Amen. Amen. Quit thinking about it as what's God's will for me? Does He want this? Does He not want this? If it's Jesus, if it belongs to Him, then it's yours as well because you are a joint heir with Him. Amen? I mean, I'm kind of getting on to you a little bit, but I just want you to understand. Quit disqualifying yourself because of your actions. Understand the legal transaction that took place in that heaven place. In the, realize, I mean, think, the, oh man, that's the first thing I'm going to do. I get into that eternal dimension. I'm going into that heavenly holy of holies, and I'm going to look for that blood of Jesus that was offered. Because it says it's there. Man, I want to see that. I want to look at it and just look at him and look at it and look at him for about 90 million years. And then we'll do some other stuff. Because <laughs> that's our righteousness. That's our life. That's our acceptance. That's what saved you. You have to be solid in that. So let me just give you a little bit more to kind of back that up. Hebrews 10 verse 10. And if you would, put the King James up there. You know how to switch the translations, Courtney? Okay. Um, 
don't put it up just yet. Let me give you a little bit of backstory. What he's talking about, because he, he starts out, he says, by this will, we have been sanctified. This will means that now Jesus is the sacrifice for your righteousness that you present to God and that then you are presented to God in rather than under the old covenant, you would have to go down to the temple, take your birds, take your goat, whatever it was that you had done to break the law. There were specific kinds of sacrifices that you had to go to the priest with and offer this particular sacrifice. The priest would inspect the sacrifice, make the sacrifice, offer the blood. Then that was considered your atonement. It covered your sin and it was only temporary. So one time a year, the high priest would perform a sacrifice for the entire nation of Israel, and it was a, an atonement for sin for the entire people. But he says that sin, those kinds of sacrifices, God was never pleased with. God, didn't, God wasn't like some blood, lustful, angry, wrathful being that needed to take all his judgment out on Jesus to keep from killing you. You know, some people present God that way, and then some people present just substitutionary atonement as if God is that way. But no, the issue is you cannot live with God in eternal life without exchanging your life for His life. That's the blood and receiving His Spirit. But So temporarily, to foreshadow of the real thing in Jesus, God set up the system of sacrificing bulls and goats. Have you ever wondered? Why, God, why would you do all that? Why, why sacrifices? Why blood? What's up with that? You know, it's weird. But that's the point. It was only temporary to point to the real thing. So all of that, he's talking to Jews and he says, God wasn't really pleased with that whole sacrificial system. It was just temporary to get us to Jesus. So now Jesus is the sacrifice. And then he goes here, by this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once. Now, I'm not sure what translation you have there. For all is actually not in the original language. So what he's saying is, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once. The body of Jesus only needed to be offered once to provide sanctification. Now, yes, it is applied to for all that will receive that, but you understand what I'm saying. Year after year, they'd have to provide those sacrifices. His sacrifice, one time. So how are you sanctified? Is it through getting out of sin? Are you sanctified by keeping the law? Are you sanctified by being nice to animals? I remember being, you know, I used to do a lot of street witnessing and ran across a guy one time. It's like, you know, why, do you, why would God let you into heaven type thing? He's like, well, I'm nice to animals. <laughs> It's like, okay. <clears throat> Your sanctification comes from nothing but the offering of the body of Christ, the sacrifice. So sanctification means to purify or to cleanse or to make you holy. To be made holy is not something that you perform your way up to. It's something that is performed on you. Uh, uh, any vessel goes through a ceremonial cleansing and then it is deemed holy, worthy, set apart to be used by whatever that scenario demands. 
So that's what happened with you. You were cleaned with the blood of Jesus, sanctified, made holy, set apart to be indwelt by the Spirit of God. That is the process of holiness. Not staying out of sin long enough to gain some standard before God. The law could never produce righteousness anyway. So, <clears throat> the offering of the body of the blood of Jesus once is your sanctification. Verse 11, every priest stands daily ministering and offering, because he does go back and forth here between the two covenants, so he's making a comparison. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus is that sacrifice. Verse 13, waiting from that time forward until his enemies be made his footstool. And then verse 14, this is where 10 ties back into 14. He says, by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Amen. Now, how are you sanctified? Set apart by the blood of Jesus. The offering of the body of Jesus. If you, if you want to keep it short, Jesus. <laughs> You're sanctified in what he did. Right? Okay. So... For by one offering he has perfected... Are you sanctified? Yes. Have you received Jesus? Yep. Okay. So for by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Now, wait a minute. You're perfect too? I thought perfect meant that I do everything right and I'm trying to gain my way unto perfection. I'm trying to work my way up to being more holy so that I can be perfect. Well, you don't understand covenant. You don't understand the proper use of the law and the sacrifice of the body of Jesus making you sanctified. In this sanctification, you're made perfect. Now, the word perfect just means complete or whole or finished. Say, I'm finished. I'm clean and I'm finished. See, that's the, that's the, you have to understand that covenantally and judge yourself accordingly that you're done. You're complete. There is nothing you can do to get more favor with God. There is nothing that you can do to become more holy because the real you, the spiritual you, is already sanctified and that is your completeness. Man, this is so powerful, I'm telling you. But we pray from the place as if we're incomplete. We pray from the place as if we need and I don't have and God, I've got this problem because I'm not good enough here and if I do this, then I'll be more complete. Or the famous Jerry Maguire quote, we find our mate and it's like, oh, you complete me. <laughs> you guys seen that movie? <laughs> you complete me. <laughs> That's in there too, yeah. Show me the money. <laughs> I knew that was coming. Yeah, oh, here we go. <laughs> but you can, I mean, how codependent is that? You've got to be messed up to think that some other person can complete you. Honestly, Jesus is your sanctification that makes you complete. This means that you have spiritual completeness. Now, remember going back to the idea of the Word of God being within you and bearing fruit? 
So the stuff that God knows what you need before he ever even asks, he has good plans for you, plans to prosper you, not to bring harm to you. He has given you all things that pertain unto life and godliness. What do you need in this life? That and stuff. You know, you need, your, you need food, you need shelter, you need your needs met. I mean, all that stuff, you know, we don't want to go in debt. God knows that. God wants to provide that stuff for you. He promised that he would meet those needs for us. But we have this idea that a need from God is something that we don't have in this world and that it's a lack. It's somewhere over there. It's maybe out there. If God would take me to this place, then I would have that thing that would meet my need not really fully understanding that the spirit in you is that completeness to bear fruit into this life, to meet that need physically. See, the need has already been met spiritually, and as you have faith toward him, that need manifests from a spiritual promise into whatever it is that you need. The spirit of God will manifest into food. The spirit of God will manifest into your provision. The spirit of God will manifest into leading you to a job. That stuff is not separate from you. It's a manifestation of God birthing His fruit into this dimension. Do you, do you see that? Does that make sense? So when we pray, we can't pray from this perspective of God, I, need, I don't have this, and if you, you need to bring it to me. No, the Spirit of God is in you. And here's how it works. Here's how the kingdom works. You go to sleep like a farmer that's planted seed. You wake up. It bears fruit, and you don't know how it happens. <laughs> Think about this. Spirit seeds, whatever it is that you need. You know, you think about it in a quantum realm. Scientists these days, they think that really the only thing that exists are possibilities. And that as humans make judgments and observations, those possibilities are collapsed into circumstances whether it be life or death, whether it be sickness, abundance, lack, whatever we observe and choose, that's what's going to manifest and become a reality in our lives. This world is a lot different than just hard, hard physical particles. It's subjective. So that means that the kingdom seeds that are within you, God's already put financial provision within you, and it's pure. Like that's all that it is. It just needs to grow and bear fruit into your life. There's nothing that you need to do to add to that, to make it become something that it already is. Do you know what I'm saying? What, what I'm trying to say is it's already there in fullness, in its essence, but it just needs to grow into this life. You can't make the spirit work because at its core, it already is what it needs to be. And as you have faith toward it, you just allow it to be produced in this life. So rather than trying to get God to show up and do stuff for us because we put him way out there and we think that he's mad at us when we sin, realize that his spirit is in you and Jesus told us that his kingdom is in you and the kingdom wants to grow into this life. It's an understanding of spiritual fruit rather than detached carnal things in this world. I don't know if I'm saying that exactly like I'm hearing it in my own heart, but I hope that helps you. So then you start thinking about, okay, well, so how do I pray? What do I pray? Have you, have you gone through that now that you've kind of started to learn about the new covenant and your identity? You, maybe you stopped praying. How many of you stopped praying as much as you used to? Nobody wants to admit that, yeah. 
It's all right. Everybody, go, everybody goes through this process. You, you, when you start to understand the finished work of, of the cross, it's like it, it becomes about what you don't have to do. It's like because we've been in religion for so long, then we learn about the finished work of the cross. It's like, oh, wait a minute. You mean I don't have to give? I don't have to go to church? I don't have to evangelize the world? I'm already complete in him. I'm accepted. And so then it, it shows you how legalistic you really are because it's all about the have-tos. Then you, I don't have to pray, I don't have to do this. And then you kind of progress through that and, and the grace starts to manifest and bear fruit in your life and bring you to maturity and you realize, well, I know I don't have to, but I kind of want to go hang out with those people. I want to go down there and worship and be encouraged and learn. And I want to give because I value what's going on with this message and I want to participate. I want to do my part to reach the world and reach our community. And, th and then it becomes a sense of purpose within you. And prayer should be the same way. But prayer should progress from I don't have to to I'm going to declare in this world the truth. Not asking God because it's already in there. We just speak the truth. Specifically over our lives. And you can do the same for other people. I'm going to go in this series into praying for others. But I kind of wanted to look at the model of how Jesus prayed. And in Luke 11, Matthew 6, we have the Lord's Prayer. You familiar with the Lord's Prayer? All right, let's all say it together, and I'll stop you when you get to an important part. Really? Ready? All right, go. Okay, stop. <laughs> Our Father. Man. So Jesus, they came to Jesus. They said, well, how should we pray? And he went through this long discourse, and it was really cool. Uh, go back and read Matthew 6, but I'm just going to go through his prayer part of it. So verse six, uh, Matthew 6 Verse 7, I'll set it up and then we'll look at what he prayed. He said, and when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition. Wait a minute. Isn't that what we do with the Our Father? Our Father, which art in heaven, I love you, thy name. It's like a meaningless repetition. I mean, how many times have you said that and it's just like, just words. They just fall to the floor, you know. It's like we do with his model what he said not to do. So, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Any long prayer people in here? That's good. Just make sure it's... Anyway. <laughs> Verse 8. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. I love that. He knows. He is a, he is a God because he has been a man that is touched with the feelings of your infirmities. He knows exactly what you're going through because he's been human. And he was tempted in every way we are, yet without sin. You, you realize that? God knows what it's like to be you. He knows what you're going through. He's been through it and stayed in faith toward his father to walk through it without sin. You know, we look at Jesus as if he was like special. Do you believe that Jesus could have sinned? Oh, yeah. Somebody said no. Interesting, right? It's, it's an interesting question. So was Jesus tempted? Yes. Okay. James 1 says, don't say when you're tempted that it's from God because God can't be tempted. Was Jesus tempted? Oh my God, you're saying Jesus isn't God? No, I'm not saying Jesus isn't God. Listen, 
Jesus just temporarily emptied himself of his divinity to experience this planet as a human. He was born, born again, so to speak. He wasn't born with a sin nature. He knows what you're going through. He did that so he could, because mankind has dominion, he had to be a human and conquer this place as a man so that he could unite heaven and earth in mankind or, or that mankind could be the bridge and mankind could have dominion in heaven and in the earth and the power of heaven behind him to speak things into this earth. Jesus said that. He said, I've, huh? He upholds all things by the power of his word. But he said also, he said that he has been given the keys to the kingdom. He has been get, given the keys to death, hell, and the grave. He hold, that means he holds the power over everything. And what did he do? Here, I give you the keys. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Man, I know I'm throwing like 90 million different <laughs> messages at you at one time, but I'm getting somewhere. It's all about how are you going to pray? Are you going to pray from a sense of lack wondering if God wants to provide for you? Are you going to understand the cross of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ, the covenant that you exist within as the reason that you can speak? And you have the same shared authority that Jesus gained and earned in his own power given to you to speak heaven truths into this place. But how do you pray? God, I wonder if you want to do this for me or... I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You will meet my needs according to your riches. I speak abundance into this earth. I don't care how it happens. My needs are met because of you. Amen? Amen. So here's the model that Jesus gives. And, I, you know, a couple of reasons why I want to do this. Uh, Matthew 6, verse 9. So he says, pray then in this way, our Father. You have to know that your God is your Father. He's not your taskmaster you're not a slave, you're a child, Amen. which art in heaven, meaning he's, he's in that eternal place where he rules and reigns from, but you are connected with him. So, hallowed be your name. Jesus starts off recognizing this, the relationship that we're in, that God rules and reigns in that eternal place, and this place just follows suit, and that he is holy. So he starts to worship. He recognizes his place in this union with God. He recognizes God's place, and then he starts to worship. It's like he sets his mind on, okay, this is who God is. This is who I am. And then he worships. Hallowed be your name. This is a model. These are not words to recite. This is the model. When you come in here, remember. I love the song, Take a Moment. Remember who God is and who I am. That's birthed from this. Take a moment and remember who God is and who I am. And then you worship out of that. And out of that is the, the environment for you to experience what God has for you. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the will of God, Jesus said, I don't say any, I only say what I hear the Father saying. So Jesus prayed the will of the Father. The will of the Father is for us to expect that His will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth 
as it is in heaven. What? Have you ever just thought about that? I mean, Jesus took the time to pray and, and showed us that our expectation can be that, he, that earth can look like heaven. So the bar is not, notice what he doesn't do. He doesn't start talking about his needs. He doesn't start talking about those Romans. He doesn't start talking about another way to walk out his path. What he does is he sets his mind on heaven. He sets his mind on things above. He thinks about what is lovely and true and of good report. Do you see that, what he's doing here? He sets his mind on heaven as he's praying. We pray with our minds set on this world, don't we? My kids are this, or my parents are this, or my job is this, or my job is not this. And it's like, okay, what about heaven? What is that going to look like in heaven? Set your mind on that. Because what you believe, what you have your focus on, is going to determine the reality that you experience in this place. So, <clears throat> give us this day our daily bread. Now, this is talking about physical provision, but more than anything, it's just talking about daily. I just want to be fed by you. Daily, I want to walk with you. Daily, I want to live with you. Daily, I want you to be my supply. Daily, I want you to be my nourishment. You know? I mean, when I, I know when I was younger, I was a new Christian. It'd be like, I'd forget that I was saved, and I'd, oh, wait, I, there's, you know, God's out there somewhere. You, you, you ever used to do that, you know? <laughs> Maybe you still do it. There's no condemnation, but it's like you forget that there's a God. And then you snap and you go, oh, wait a minute, maybe I should pray about this. So, <clears throat> now this is very interesting, and this is one, you know, that people debate. But he says, verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Now, some translations say forgive us our transgressions or forgive us our sins. But this is a very specific word for debts in the original language, in the Greek. It's only used two times in the New Testament, and it's always translated as debts. Now, part of the definition is transgressions, but it's not talking about harmartia, in other words, the actions or your sin nature. It's talking about things that are held against you, not things that you've done. Okay? So, the word debts here is not talking about this process that you've got to go to God all the time and ask Him to keep forgiving you. Because that's what we've been taught. That, that part of our prayer is that we're supposed to go to God and constantly ask Him to forgive us. You're forgiven. Now this, this is... Let me walk you through this because this is kind of a puzzle here that I'm going to put together for you. What he's saying is... See, in the Hebrew culture, debt was like a big deal. It was a big deal to not go into debt. And if you were in debt, you did whatever it took to get out of debt so that you get back to a place where you're reset and you live that way. In fact, every 50 years, well, every seven years they'd have Jubilee, but every 50 years they would have, um, that was the year of Jubilee. And all debts were canceled. Land went back to the original owners. I mean, it's like, it was a major reset. It probably shook up the economy. And I'm sure some people that, did stuff deceitfully throughout that 49 years, got to that 50 year, and like, oh, it's all gone. But for most people, it was like the, the nation was reset. That's what he's talking about here. He's talking about living at a place, not just money, but are you indebted to someone emotionally? Are you holding things against other people that they have done to you? 
And being set free from judgment is really what he's talking about more than anything in this. Forgive us what's been held against us. Forgive us what we owe as we forgive others. So he's talking about living the kind of lifestyle where you set people free and you experience freedom. Do you see that? He's not talking about going to God and asking God to forgive you of your sins. So the reason he's not is because as a believer, you're already forgiven. Now, does that mean it's okay to sin? No. no. Let, me, let me show you what it's, what he, what, how we should view confession and dealing with sins under the new covenant. He says, confess your sins one to another, for God is faithful and just to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Confession is not when you become forgiven. Confession is when you say the same thing or send away that sin. Say the same thing God says about that sin. In other words, this sin has no power over me. This sin is not held against me. I am free from this sin because I am under grace, which is more powerful and will strengthen me to walk out of this sin. Let me ask you a question. Another, I've got, I'm going to talk about forgiveness for a minute because we're talking about the Lord's Prayer, and I just want you to understand where you are in this process. You, you know, I don't want you to think that you've got to constantly run to God shoving your sin up in his face and then he continually re releases forgiveness for you as if when you sin you break fellowship and you got to go back to him and repent and confess then he gives you more forgiveness that's not the process that we're in you're forgiven just like you're sanctified and we saw that right you were forgiven how does forgiveness work let's say buddy does something to me and he comes to me and asks for forgiveness does that mean I'm going to give it to him? Maybe. Maybe, maybe not. It's my choice, right? Forgiveness is not something that he's going to earn from me. Forgiveness is something that I'm going to choose to extend toward him. The act of him coming and asking for forgiveness is not what constitutes the forgiveness. The forgiveness needs to happen in my heart toward him. Now, it's good that he's coming and trying to repair the relationship. But the choice is mine. See, God chose to forgive you in Jesus while you were still dead in your sin. Before you ever even asked, God forgave you. Because that's how powerful the blood of Christ is. God is not holding anything against you that you need to go to Him and convince Him to forgive you for. Does that make sense? Okay, so let's keep going because we're going to deal with this. He says, verse 13, don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. James 1 says, when you're tempted, don't say that it's from God because God can't be tempted, neither tempts he any man. So if Jesus prayed, Let us, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, do you think God answered that prayer? I think God said, okay, I won't tempt them. That's all I'm going to say about that one. <laughs> for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Verse 14, for if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. What? You're telling me that I've got to forgive people in order for God to forgive me? 
That's what he's saying, right? Mm -hmm. But notice he says, if you. Now, this is a clue. And this is, this is difficult. Some people can accept this. Some people can't. This is one of the key ways you determine whether or not Jesus was functioning as a prophet under the old covenant or whether he was the Messiah declaring the new covenant. He's always the Messiah. He's always a prophet. But when he's teaching, he's teaching from different perspectives sometimes. If you is law-based. For you is new covenant-based. Now, watch. This sounds like he's saying God won't forgive you if you don't forgive. Now, that's old covenant, but look what it looks like under the new covenant. Ephesians 4, 32. And be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. This past tense. Colossians 3, 13. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against you, forgive as the Lord forgave you. New covenant, Christ, for Christ's sake, God forgave you. Are we throwing out the words of Jesus? No. Are we saying that Jesus didn't know what he was talking about? No. But you have to understand that sometimes when Jesus was teaching, it was pre-New Covenant. The New Testament is not the new covenant. The new covenant didn't enact until he rose from the grave and offered that blood. So, how are you forgiven? Are you forgiven because you forgive others? Or are you forgiven for Christ's sake? For Christ's sake. That's new covenant. Do you see the difference? In reading scripture, there are other areas too where if it's if you, if you do this, then I, and then under the new, it's for you. If you, for you. All right. <clears throat> See, Jesus didn't change. His word didn't change. We're not throwing out Jesus' teachings, and we can't ignore those, but they contradict each other, don't they? It's either you're forgiven for Christ's sake, or you're forgiven after you forgive others. Which one is it? The issue is that the word doesn't change, but you change. You've changed. You've become a new creature. You've become engrafted into that new covenant. Now, you could say that people that aren't under, that aren't in that new covenant, they're not born again, are in that place of if you. But I'm not so sure because God forgave the whole world in Christ already. Now, forgiveness does not equal righteousness. Universal forgiveness does not equal universal righteousness. God's not holding your sin against you, whether you've got Christ dwelling within you or not. But you have to have Christ dwelling within you to be righteous. I'm, I'm making this clear because there's some teachings out there going around that try to say that the whole world was in the union between... Let me, let me just... Can I just teach you another little thing here? Because yep. I feel like this is in my heart and I want to make it clear. Some people are teaching out of Ephesians 1 that it says that we were chosen in him from the foundation of the world. Yes, that's true. A little further down, like around verse 13, it says, after you believed, then you received the Spirit of God. So it makes the distinction. Some are teaching that in him, all of humanity was chosen 
in Jesus from before the foundation of the world. Then they kind of push it to say that mankind has always been part of the union between the Father and the Son. Eh, I don't know about that. And then they say, because that mankind was always in the Trinity, or that mankind has always been a partaker of that divine nature, that when Christ was born into this world and was redeemed and, and redeemed back up into heaven, that all of humanity was included in that because they were in him before the world even was created. But you're stretching all that to make that true. We were not in the Trinity, included in the union between the Father and the Son from before the foundation of the world. It was a choice that God said, okay, in Jesus is how they're going to come to me. I choose them, but they're going to be adopted in Jesus. And he's very, very clear to use the language of adoption, which makes the distinction you are not in until you're in. You are not in the family until you have been adopted. The way that you're adopted is you receive the Spirit of God by faith. You're not adopted ahead of time. I heard a very clever teaching just recently that a man's very popular teacher in the grace camp said that all of humanity was adopted in him from the foundation of the world. Well, that's not what it says. It doesn't say that they were adopted in him from the foundation of the world. They were chosen, meaning God said, this is how I'm going to get them. So I'm going to adopt them, but they have to receive Christ. Does that help you? Have you heard any of those kind of teachings? Some of you have. There's just a couple of teachers out there that are doing that stuff, and it creates a lot of confusion. But, it, but it, the, the issue is, do you have the Spirit of God living in you or not? And once you do, it puts you in a whole different state of existence. It puts you in this place where you don't have to pray, if it be thy will. Because you know what the will of God is, and that is that you be conformed to the image of Christ that on earth as it is in heaven, that all your needs be met according to His riches and glory, that He has given you all things that pertain unto life and godliness. That's the will. You don't pray, if it be thy will, if Jesus paid for it. Amen. One, I got one amen. <laughs> and a fist pump. You said amen. Come on. <laughs> That's all right. I'm just, I'm just fired up. That's all right. Don't be, don't be. Stop. I, 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 if people would get a hold of this stuff, man, our lives would rat. How many of you, your lives have radically changed as experience? Your relationship with God has radically changed as a, as a result of understanding this. Look around, whether it be this church or not, you know. I mean, there's Christians all over the planet that don't understand the new covenant. They don't understand just the to the degree of which they really already are complete. And I want you to know it can change your prayer life because God is for you. You don't have to wonder what God's will is if it's purchased in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you. We thank you for a complete salvation. We thank you for giving us everything that you have already as spiritual seeds within us in Christ. And we commit to just speaking the truth. From now on, when we pray, we're going to remind ourselves that we're your child. We're going to set our hearts and minds on things above of heaven, and we're going to pray from that place, and we're going to speak truth 
rather than asking if you want it for us or not. If Jesus paid for it, it's mine now. Just say that. If Jesus paid for it, it's mine now. Amen.